0: It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5 as you're seated. Romans chapter 5 in your Bible this morning. Romans chapter 5 in your Bibles today. If you're new to church, Romans is about two thirds of the way through the Bible. If you know where the New Testament is, probably about a little more than a third of the way through. Romans chapter 5 in your Bible this morning. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, our text will be found in verse 15 to 21. Um normally, we, I try to preach one paragraph at a time. This passage or this paragraph would go from verse 12 to 21. And a couple of weeks ago, we studied the first three verses of the paragraph, 12, 13, and 14. And in truth, it's, it was a little bit long to try to get the whole thing in in one service. So um, we, were, we broke it up into two uh, distinct messages. Uh, but I do want to give you a little bit of background. Ground into verses twelve through fourteen, where the Bible says in verse twelve, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin; so death passed upon all men, for all for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law." Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude, or in the same way, as all similitude means, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. Just to help us establish where we're going today, we need to remember that Paul is reinforcing the universality of death, or the reality that all men everywhere die, That's what Paul is reinforcing in verses 12 to 14. Uh, The Jews believe that Paul goes on, but the Jews that he's dealing with believe that there could be no sin or death apart from the law, that, that sin and death only came from the law. Uh, they may have thought that Paul's claim in verse number 12 was a little bit outlandish and, and didn't make sense to them because they had been trained a different way. So Paul is affirming, if you will, the extent of sin, that it existed before the Mosaic law was given and that people were condemned for their sin. Uh, and because they were condemned of their sin, they needed to be a savior. Though in verse number, th- there needed to be a savior, I should say. Though verse number four t- 13 says, uh, there was sin in the world before the law, but sin was not imputed or put on the account of the individual before the law. He really, here's what Paul is doing. He's coming to the end of a section in the book of Romans, and he's helping folks to understand the absolute um, reality that sin brings death That's just trying to help people understand that's his focus. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. And, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, when I preached through this, it was not the most encouraging message that I've ever preached. Matter of fact, um uh, I, I think I don't even remember what I titled it. it was so bad. Uh, but it was something like this, uh, death is everywhere. Everyone dies. And nobody left here that day going, man, I was really encouraged. It was kind of a little bit different. It was not, but we just have to deal with what the text says. And, and we're a church. If you're a guest here at Canyon Ridge, we, we don't have a lot of fancy things. This is what we promise you, that we will teach what the Bible teaches. And we'll teach it in a way that the Bible teaches. And we'll try to do it in a way that's, that's enjoyable, but that's not always the case. And a couple of weeks ago, that was not the case. When you start off the message with, wherefore is by one man sin entered under the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all of you, and we're all dead. Just did not reach to the level of like encouragement uh, that we would maybe normally have. But listen, it is a reality. Whether I like that reality or not, whether I, I enjoy that or not, it's still a reality. Here's what some people do. They're like, well, I don't like what the Bible says there, so I'm not going to believe it. Our belief does not dissuade or affect the truth of the message. I can tell you right now, you can believe all you want to, that you can eat as much pie as you want and it won't affect you. I'm a big fan of pie. Anybody else say pie? Pie more than cake? I'm a pie guy. How many of the rest of you know Jesus? I'm a pie guy. I like banana cream pie. I like coconut cream pie. I like lemon meringue pie. I like fruit pies. I don't like that nasty strawberry gelatin pie that they put on it. I don't like that. But I, I like berry pies. Not a big fan of apple. But you give me a chocolate cream. I mean, I could, I could kill a pie real quick if I'm not careful. You can eat all the pie you want to. And you can say all you want to. This won't affect me. But it's only a matter of time before the diabetes police come and invade your house. Why? Because what you want to believe about something does not dictate its truth or not. Paul is saying here we're all sinners and the evidence that all men are sinners is the reality that all men have died. Now I'm thankful this is a paragraph because it starts off pretty negative, but it ends in one of the most glorious realities in all of scripture. Scripture. And we see that starting in verse number 15, where the scripture says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift." For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Paul is reinforcing or helping us to gain a more firm grasp of the reality of verses 12 to 14. And he does so in verses 15 to 17 by contrasting Jesus and Adam. He contrasts Jesus and Adam. This whole idea, you see it at the end of verse number 14, where the Bible talks about Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam was a type of Christ. The Bible refers to Adam repeatedly being a type of Jesus or a picture of Jesus. The Old Testament Adam is a picture of the New Testament Christ. But before Paul heads too far down that road, he needs to be clear that there were many, many differences between Adam and Christ. They weren't the same. They are vastly, vastly different. And in verse number 15, the second part of verse number 15, for through the offense of one, many be dead. Adam brought sin and death into the world. Adam brought sin and death into the world. For by the offense of one. The word offense is a word that we'll look at a couple of times in our study. But it means deviating from a path or departing from the norm. It carries the idea by extension of going where you should not go. This word is sometimes referred to as trespass. When I was a kid, I lived in uh, Spanaway, Washington and up the hill from our house, there were some, there were some houses in the neighborhood and behind that was a, maybe what you would call a small little ranch. There was a guy that he probably owned about 10 or 15 cows that were back there and we would like to go up there and we'd like to see those cows if we could find them and, and they weren't too fond of us eight, nine, 10-year-old boys, but we were fond of seeing them and there was a barbed wire fence that was there and we would try to sneak through that fence and on that fence was a sign and it said this no trespassing is black with yellow or red writing no trespassing allowed don't deviate from the path that you're allowed to go on you're not allowed to come into this field you say what'd you guys do we trespassed we figured he wasn't there but we trespassed we went in we went we went I should say Where we were not supposed to go. And so the Bible is really clear here for verse number 15: for if through the offense of one, or the trespass of one, or going where he should not go, many be dead, or people died. Because of Adam's sin, all men everywhere die. Everyone. Because of his sin. It's referring back to verse number 12, or it's supporting or subordinate to verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. How did sin enter into the world? Through Adam, the first man to sin when he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so verse number 17, it says this, look there, for if by one man's offense, uh, offense same word offense, trespass, death reigned by one, or judgment and condemnation came on everyone because of Adam's sin. There's a lot of facts about Adam. He's the first man, married Eve, a lot of things that we know about him. But what has probably affected us greatest of his life that still affects us to this day is the reality that his sin brought death into the whole world. And so... When we contrast Jesus and Adam, we understand this, that Adam brought sin into this world. Verse number 16, we understand that Jesus brought justification and redemption for the world. Jesus brought justification and redemption for the world and not as it was, verse number 16, by one that sinned, so is the free gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. There are two very practical truths about this verse. Very practical, that must be understood. Not as it was by one that sinned, So is the gift. Number one, you have to understand something. God hates sin so much, it took only one sin to condemn the entire human race and separate man from God. God hates sin so much that it took only one sin to condemn the entire human race and separate man from God. For the judgment was by one, two, condemnation. One sin not 1 million not a billion one sin adam's sin it could be argued was not the most grotesque sin ever create ever that ever happened You remember the story back in the, uh, that describes the fall of man, Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter three, God created man, says every fruit of the tree in this, or every tree in this garden you may freely eat. You can have everything that's here. All of it is yours. You, You have Eve, you have everything. There's only one restriction in your life. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat it. In the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And the day you eat it, you will surely die. And that was the one restriction. Adam had only one restriction. And yet that's the one thing that Adam went for. It was not the most grotesque sin in all the world, but it was sin. And it was a, what some people might say, not even a big sin, but it was the only restriction that was placed on him. And he violated that sin and that sin brought or have had devastating effect on the, entire world make no mistake sin has devastating effects on everyone around it you can sin and you say oh it won't affect anyone don't you dare lie to yourself it will have devastating consequences that are far beyond what you could even comprehend in the moment the ramifications of it are huge. That's not the point of the message today, but it has to be explained because that's what verse number 16 is talking about. Adam sinned and mankind is affected and mankind has been, has, has been faced with the consequence of Adam sin. And by the way, I think that all of us in this room would be honest enough to say, if we were put in the same spot, we would have done the exact same thing. The second thing that we see in verse number 16, the first thing we see is obvious that God hates sin so much that that it took only one sin to condemn the entire human race and separate man from God. The second thing that we see is in verse number 16 for the judgment was by one to condemnation. Notice this, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. God loves sinners more than he hates sin. God loves sinners more than he hates sin. Verse number 16, for the free gift is of many. That word just means much in number or amount or there were a lot of offenses, that word that we looked at earlier, a lot of trespasses, they were all there and there was many of them and there were a lot of them and there were many offenses, but the offenses, the free gift of God rose in spite of the multiple offenses. God loves sinners so much, verse number 16, that he justifies them. The word justification is the product or result of being justified by God or the rights or claims which one has before God when he becomes his child by faith. The justification that Christ gives is is not a one-for-one trade. It's not like you sin and then God does this and then you sin and then God justifies. No, God took all of our sin and placed it on himself on the cross of Calvary. in spite of our many offenses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 12, the Bible says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, it's imperative that we understand that. One sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ covers every single sin there is no sin beyond the power the scope or the authority of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ not a single sin Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, you can look there in your text just up from where we are in verse number 15. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of the magnitude of your sin or the number of your sins, Christ died for you because God loves you more than he hates sin. Some people who grew up in very rigid church environments and it was almost like To some that are in this room this morning, almost like your sin is greater than God's grace, and you messed up, and and there's really no hope, And, and people have heard things like this, well, maybe, maybe God will forgive you. Can I tell you that that's absolute garbage? If you come to God, there is absolutely no doubt at all, he will forgive you. Make no mistake about that. His his grace is greater. It is the free gift of many offenses. Verse number 17, if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Death reigned by Adam, but Jesus brings life by his grace. Adam and Jesus are contrasted. But in verse 18 and 19, Jesus and Adam are compared. Paul is establishing a case. He's building. He's an attorney. He's working to a bigger point. He's helping us to get there. Therefore, in verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. They're compared. Well, what are they compared? Their actions affected everyone. Their actions affected everyone. By the offense of one judgment came upon all men. That word all is the word pause. It's the totality, it means totality, completeness, oneness, came upon all mankind. We are all condemned because of Adam's sin. Therefore, By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. I mean, it's a powerful thought. Adam's sin affected everyone. It affects you and me today. I would argue probably the most devastating effects on our life. I think I'd win that argument. It affects folks because of one man's sin. Jesus, verse number 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Because of Adam's sin, I'm a sinner. But here's the contrast. By the obedience of Christ, shall many be made righteous righteous Jesus or the obedience of Jesus brings righteousness that word righteousness just means in right standing with God it brings us back to a right standing with God well somebody would want to make this this question well Jesus is God who does Jesus have which he is can I get an amen No doubt, but who does Jesus have to obey? Well, Jesus has to obey the Father, God the Father. What do you mean, pastor, that he obeys God the Father? Aren't they one? Yes, but they're entirely distinct and they have different roles and from the context of scripture, it seems as though they also have different authority. John chapter 14, bring that verse up, would you? John chapter 14, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is talking here. John, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse number 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father. Now, when Jesus said this to the Jews, it was scandalous because they're arguing any dude knows the father, anybody says he knows the father, he's a heretic. Are you telling me that he knows the father? Jesus said, I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Notice what he says. I lay my life down. That's the free will choice to do exactly that. I lay my life down. Go to the next verse. And other sheep I have, talking about Gentiles, which are not of this fold, we thank God for that. Then also I must bring, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Again, Jesus is reiterating the reality that he's laying his life down. He's making the choice to be obedient to the Father. Let me just stop and say, obedience to God is a choice. It's a choice. We choose to obey, we choose to not obey. We choose to get up and spend time in worship in the morning or in the evening, but private worship with the Lord or we choose not to. We choose to do what God tells us to do or we choose not to do, but Jesus chose uh, to lay his life down. Go to verse number 18. No man taketh talking about his life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Notice what he says. This commandment have I received of my father. Now, Adam was given one commandment, one commandment. This is where they're contrasted. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Don't eat that fruit. And he did. Jesus was given one commandment, Lay, do the work, John chapter nine, that I've called you to do and lay your life down. And Jesus says, I've received this and I'm going to do it and praise God he did it and eternity has been changed for many, 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 tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people because they trust in the substitutionary death or the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Whereas by one man's disobedience, verse number 19, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. John, come here real quick. Bernard, would you come here? I want to illustrate this. Now, here's the deal. You say, why are you doing this? Uh, well, in, in large part because this may be. I would argue one of the, well, I would argue this is the most difficult passage in Romans to understand, and I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I just thought I was dumb until I started reading a bunch of commentators who said this is the most difficult passage to understand, at which point I felt good because people smarter than I felt the same way. So here's, you got to follow this with me, okay? Got to follow this with me. It'll be a little bit like junior high and a little bit fun. All right? If it's not fun, we'll give you... It's a money-back guarantee. It's a money-back guarantee. All right? So, come here. We're going to let Bernie be God. No, let's let John be God. He got a little too excited for that. <laughs> he struggles with the Messiah complex already. So, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, so, John. John's going to be God. All right? John's. John is the Lord. Bernie, right now. now. This is going to switch up a little bit. So if you're a guest here, just work with me, all right? And Bernie's going to be Adam, all right? When when man was created, when just in case you're wondering what we believe, when man was created uh, by God, man was Genesis chapter one or Genesis chapter two, Genesis beginning of Genesis chapter three. Man was in perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship. The Bible says that God would come down in the evening and they would walk in the cool of the garden and they would fellowship one with another. It was an awesome, awesome thing. God created man. God cre- just, We're stretching here. you got to really use your imagination. God created Adam and they were in perfect, perfect fellowship. Right? God tells Adam, follow this. God tells Adam, Adam... Uh, you can have everything in this garden, but the one thing you can't have is the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You, you and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, enjoy life, have everything that's here. It was perfect, perfect weather. Let me tell you, there were no Santa Annas in the Garden of Eden. Praise his holy name. There won't be in heaven either. It was perfect, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful experience, wonderful place. Nothing we could ever imagine. So good. You can have everything but this one tree. And then Adam sinned, right? Adam sinned. Adam took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, I gotta skip over for time, because of that, man was separated from God. Now man is over here and God is still here. Adam brought sin into the world. And because of his sin, Everyone has died and death by sin. Everyone has died because of Adam's sin. Now, now, now follow verse number 19. Everybody is separated from God. We are, just to put, help you understand where you're at, you were born, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, you were born separated from God. This is where we started. It is not where Adam started. Adam started in perfect fellowship with God. Are you with me here? He was created, he was created I shouldn't say in front of you, sorry John. He was created in perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, perfect relationship with God. Everything was sweet. And wonderful and amazing, but because of his sin, Adam separated. And remember, Paul establishes in the first 11 verses of chapter 5 that we are all represented in Adam. Adam is nothing more than a representative of all mankind. You can't say, well, I'm not Adam. No, 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 you are. Well, I wouldn't have done that. No, Romans 5, 1 to 11 says that you would have and teaches that. So we are all now born in this condition. Are you with me? All right, we're coming somewhere cool. So if you fall asleep, it's going to be like coming into the movie after the the credits are done. So, So, stay with me here. We'll try to use our spontaneous actors. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So, many are sinners. Adam is a sinner. We are sinners. We're all here. Oh, pastor! But come on, I don't like to be thought of as a sinner. Well, you don't have to be. You don't. You can feel however you want, but you're still a sinner, and so am I. None of us are better than the other. We all start here. No, no, we are. We all start here. Right. We're sinners. So this is the first part of verse number nineteen. Casper, uh, come here real quick. You just be a sinner. That, just so you know, that's the easiest part of this whole illustration to imagine, all right? You, you represent mankind for just a minute. He's going to go represent Jesus. That's why his wife's not here, all right? So Jesus, verse number 19, we're contrasting it. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, verse number 19. So, so Jesus and God are in perfect fellowship one with another. Perfect fellowship, but Jesus is commanded of God to go to Earth and die for the sin of mankind by the obedience of one. Let me stop and say this: I just, I just, we'll act like it's Sunday night for a minute. All right, there are some of you that are in here, and we've heard preaching on this stuff like this, like um, people have said. Well, God created man and man sinned. And when man sinned, there were a bunch of people, you know, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were up in heaven trying to figure out what to do. And and God says, what should we do? What should we do? What are we gonna do? And the Holy Spirit said, I don't know. And God said, I don't know. And and they just go back and forth and preachers get all excited about it, get all, you know, hot and bothered and foaming at the mouth and and spits going everywhere and they're just throwing thrilled about this and then they, they kind of make it sound like this and there's Jesus in his room playing video games and, and he comes out and he says, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, what's going on? Uh, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but this is how it's been. Well, well, man sinned and we don't know what to do. We need somebody to go die for him and the angels won't work and the animals won't work and we're just trying to figure out what to do. And Jesus goes, well, I'll volunteer. I'll go down to this earth and die for the sin of mankind. Oh, yeah, and people clap like, oh, yeah, yeah. Can I tell you that's garbage? Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God in his sovereignty knew exactly what would happen with mankind. He knew exactly the choices that would be made. And God the son was, did he volunteer? Well, there was no debate with the father. The father told him to go and he said, yes, I will go. There was never any wringing of hands. There was never any wonder as to what was going on. No, Jesus was commanded of God to die for your and my sin. And so, verse number 19, Jesus, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. They're compared. Casper will be Adam for a minute. Byrne will be Jesus for a minute. They're compared because their decisions had Massive implications for all mankind. They're contrasted because the decision of Adam that Caspar represents literally means this. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell. You say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. I get the death, but the go to hell part, that's why we study the whole passage. And verse 1 to 12 teach us that, and verse 12 to 21 teaches us that, and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 1 and chapter 2 and every other chapter in the Bible. Because of sin, we are separated from God in a place of eternal torment and judgment. And that's the sin that Adam brought on this world. And you're going to face it, and they're going to face it, and I'm going to face it if I try to live this life on my own. Adam said, I mean, verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one Jesus Shall many be made righteous? Well, what does he mean righteous? Well, this is what he means. Stand here. That many will be, the word righteous, I, I might have a definition of it for it, I don't remember. Many be made righteous means to be brought in right standing with God sin separated us from God the sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings us back into right standing with God if we will submit to him and repent of our sin and accept the sacrifice of Christ as our savior so so here's kind of how it plays out Jesus died for the sin of mankind. We're here on this earth. We hear the preached word of God. We hear the glorious message of the gospel that we sang about, that we've been talking about. And the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict man of sin, of righteousness. Of judgment, that conviction just means that internal, like earning, yearning, or angst, that says you need to surrender. You need to come to Christ. You need to get saved. You need to come to Christ. You need to get saved. You need to come to Christ. You need to get saved. And it's there. It, no, no, I said it's there in our hearts. It's there in our lives. And the and the grace and the power of Christ begins to draw men to Himself. And mankind is in this state of what we call lostness or unrighteousness. Undone or or wretchedness, whatever word you want to use, and the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict men and draw men to himself and begins to pull men over to himself, and the man who is submissive and the man who who, who is yielded, and by man we mean mankind, men and women obviously included, is drawn into the right standing with God and as man submits to God, repents of his sin, and accepts Christ alone, Christ alone as their savior, they are brought into a right standing with God and now they are made, here's the word, righteous in God's eyes. Well, wait a minute. Verse number 20. Well, pastor, don't you know how bad of a sinner I am? Well, look at verse number 20. That's the question that Paul's answering. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. Now, here's the thing. Before there was a law, you didn't know what sin was. Paul says in the book of Galatians, I had not known covetousness, except the law said thou shalt not covet. But God brings the law into the world because man thinks he's right with God when he's not right with God. So the whole point of the, the 10 commandments, we could let represent the law. There's 640 of them, but we could let them represent the whole law. And Paul says this, Paul says the law entered, verse number 20, I wanna quote it correctly. The law entered that offenses might abound. The word abound means over and abound above to have a lot of. And so man could say, well, well pastor, don't you know how, how, many, uh, how many times I've sinned? Don't you know the things that I've done? Don't you know the addictions that I have? Don't you know how, how many porn sites I've visited? Don't you know what I've done on deployment? Don't you know the bad business deals that I've done? Pastor, don't you know how I've lied to my husband? Don't you know what I've did to my family? Pastor, come on, don't you know? No, listen to me. The law entered that offenses or sin or trespasses might abound. The whole point of the law is to prove how bad we are. It's kind of a bummer. It really is. People are like, I just try to do good and I'm going to prove myself to Jesus. No, the whole point of the law is to prove you can't do good. And it's not to prove that you're kind of good. The whole point of the law is to prove that you're desperately bad. The whole point of the law. And so here's mankind apart from Christ. Oh, he can be reconciled because of what Christ did, but he's still over here thinking about, well, don't you know what I've done? Don't you know where I've been? The law came that offenses, again, trespasses, might abound or be a lot. But now we see, verse number 20, that grace reigns. Why? Verse number 20. Because where sin, look at the verse. Because where sin did abound, wait a minute. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. What do you mean by that? This is what he means by that. Well... If you knew how many times I cheated on my taxes, how many times I have watched things on the internet that I shouldn't, the porn addiction that I have, the drug addictions that I've had, the alcohol addictions that I've had, the abuse that I've done, the things that I've said, Pastor, you have no idea the level of my sin. Come on, am I the only one in the room that can identify with the fact that we all struggle with sin, and I might not have listed yours, but... I mean, come on, we're all in agreement that yes, we are sinners. Can we get a just a unifying amen? I have messed up majorly in my life. And somebody might say, you have no idea how much I've messed up. By the way, this man says that right here, and I can testify. That's a true statement. Um, no, I'm just teasing. But we, we all sin. We're all right there. Sin abounded. Well... God can't save me. God can't do anything with me. If you knew the level of my sin, you would be devastated. Oh, sin abounded. I've had people say this, so have you. I've had people say this to me. God could never forgive me for what I've done. That might be you this morning, you might be thinking that. I came to church just to try to figure some things out, but I'll tell you, God could never forgive me for what I've done. Look at the end of the verse. But where sin did abound. Now, are you with me there, verse 20? But where sin did abound. Where sin was everywhere, all over me, every single fiber of my being was contaminated and is contaminated by sin. Where sin abound, by the way, you might say, well, I, I'm not that bad, Pastor. No, no, that's how bad you are. Every fiber of your being and my being is contaminated by sin. I'm a pretty good dude. No, no, remember, we have established from chapter 1, verse number 18, to chapter 5, verse number 20, that you're not a good person and neither am I. We are totally contaminated by sin. You say, well, that doesn't make me feel good. It shouldn't. We're all contaminated by sin. By the offense of one, do offenses abound? We're all contaminated by sin. The ground is level. We're all losers. You're no bigger loser than me, and I know more than you. We're just all in that same condition where sin abounded. Notice what he says. So he's taking this this level to the extreme to illustrate a truth or to to teach them a truth. Grace did much more abound. Well, what is grace? I've got a definition of grace for you. Grace is the free expression of God's loving kindness to mankind, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God the giver. It is unearned, unmerited favor. It is not only the free expression of love and kindness to man, finding its motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver and its unearned and unmerited favor, it is also the joy and the peace that comes from having Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Where sin abounded, where sin was very clear, where your sin is very clear. Here's what happens Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit. And he begins to probe you and speak to your heart and talk to you. And you come up with excuses. Listen to me you come up to with excuses as to why he could not forgive you why your sin is greater and and that that conversation is going on at the church at Rome and somebody's definitely thinking like oh yeah yeah I, I know sin abounding no doubt about that i've got that covered sin definitely abounded but the scripture says where sin abounded where sin was huge where sin was large where sin was seen where sin was magnified grace grace, the unmerited favor, unearned favor of God that brings salvation and joy and fellowship and redemption and justification where sin abounded. Listen to me, grace did, and here's, this is two greatest words maybe in the entire Bible, much more abound. (laughs) Well, what do you mean? Well, well, he could be a big-time sinner. Uh, well, he is a big-time sinner. We all are big-time sinners, but he could have a lot of sin in his life. He could be the worst dude you've ever known. And here's what Paul means by that. No matter the magnitude of your sin, the measure of grace is always greater than the magnitude of your sin. So where you're from and what you've done and and the things that you've not done or whatever the case may be, if you will come to Jesus, his grace is greater than your sin. And so Jesus comes and he graciously takes us. And if we repent of our sin and accept him as our savior, he brings us back to, if you will, God. And we are now, listen to me, where grace did much more abound, we are now in a Right relationship with God. Now, let me illustrate it to help you more. We're born over here. Separated from God. This ain't a funny place to be. You die here, you spend eternity in hell separated from God. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ who died on the cross of Calvary for your sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 1-7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches the riches, that means untold wealth of his grace, according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through the riches of the grace of Christ. We are lost and undone, but he comes and he he takes us unto himself and what we understand is here that great reigns, the person who surrenders to Christ in desperate need of salvation is redeemed and they are brought back, listen to me, they are brought back into a right standing with God. Well, what do you mean a right standing with God? Well, when man was created, he was created in a right standing with God, perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, complete innocence, a place of joy, a place of peace. A place of patience and long suffering, and, and the product of man's right standing with God was one of, one of wonderful fellowship and significant fellowship with the Father. And because of sin, we were separated. But because of the grace of God, listen to me because of the grace of God, the effects of sin, uh, the salvific effects of sin, or the, 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 the eternal effects of sin are reversed, and man is brought back back into a right standing with God. Well, what do you mean a right standing with God? Oh, like the Garden of Eden. What do you mean? Well, I would even submit to you probably better. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And I don't have to wait for the cool of the evening to fellowship with the Father because that would mean if I lived in Yuma, Arizona, he might not come all summer long. man's lost but because of the sacrifice of Christ grace reigns grace wins verse number 21 that as sin hath reigned just means to rule to win as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through the righteous through righteousness Unto eternal life. How? By our good works? By our efforts? No. By the work of Jesus Christ when he died for your sin and mine. Grace wins. Grace wins. Oh, Pastor, I wish I could start it all over again. If I could live my life again, I'll tell you, I'd do it different. I would change some things. Are you listening to me? (laughs) When it comes to salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ reverses the eternal devastation of sin. No, I, I said it reverses the eternal devastation of sin. Now, I know nobody in this church would do this. But have have you ever watched TV late at night on the cheap channels? You guys know what the cheap channels are, right? They're they're Come on! You're like, oh, we don't know. Oh, we got TV snobs up in here. You know what the cheap channels are? Like the ones you can get with an antenna, and half the time it's in English, and then it'll go south of the border when the wind blows, and suddenly in Spanish. (laughs) Which doesn't bother me, except that I don't speak Spanish, so I just sit there and look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have a taco right now, Um, which I love. Oh my word, do I love it! But if you're ever watching the cheap channels, or you've ever read, read, I can speak today, if you've ever read a magazine by, like on an airplane, you know, used to before there was Wi-Fi on airplanes and and tablets, everybody had a magazine, now they're not as prevalent. But if you ever saw them, you you would see something like this, you would see people uh, on there and it'd be like a cosmetic commercial and there would be this model or this actress normally it was a normally it was a lady and it would say on there if you take our lotion or oil or whatever the case may be it'll reverse the effects of aging it will reverse the effects of aging And you look on there and there's this lady who's probably about, I don't know, close to 70 years old and and she's got some wrinkles about her, not trying to be rude. Um, It's easier for me to tell this illustration now that I'm older and I have wrinkles, I've become friends with them, I've named them. The older you get, you name your wrinkles and so one day I woke up, I got this wrinkle over here, it's like a vertical wrinkle, I didn't know you could wrinkle vertically so reversing the effects of aging, I'm like, I'm going to be attentive to that now. I want to see what that is. And, and Debbie's like, the only thing that you can do is put like body putty in it and uh, maybe use some makeup. And I'm diametrically opposed to using makeup because I'm a man. Can I get an amen in here? So we say, well, pastor, now that we're online, we need to yellow your face up a little bit. Well, then I'll get a suntan. But I'm telling you right now, ain't no makeup going on this face. But I named the wrinkles, we have them, it's the effect of life and all of that. But, oh, you can reverse aging, you can reverse aging, it'll reverse the effects of aging. And so, then you read the fine print and it's like, okay, you've got to use this special serum and you've got to put it on, (laughs) I'm so stupid, I just thought, I'm going to see how this stuff works, so I bought some, I went online where you can find out everything, (sighs) And I looked around and I found some stuff, reverse the effects of aging. So Nate, I put some stuff on, I bought it. I paid like good money for it and I bought it. And I'm the type of guy, listen, I'm just gonna read the headlines like, oh yeah, I'm not reading the fine print. And then I got it and I read the instructions and this is what it said. You have to use this twice a day, every day for eight weeks and maybe you'll see an effect on it. And so I began to think about that. Every day, twice a week for two weeks, Huh, that's, that's a lot. And so I went back and I started looking at the pictures of the people who had tried this stuff. And they looked about 70 when they started and they'd been using it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and years. And instead of looking 70, and I've got no problem with this, they looked 68. I thought I'd look like nine again. I like think people say, oh, like, like use this and it'll help your hair grow back. But you ain't ever gonna look 15 again. It doesn't really reverse the effects of aging. It might slow it down, but it doesn't reverse the effect. You still have the effect of aging. But can I tell you something? The grace of Jesus Christ reverses the effect of sin. And if you will trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, he will reverse the effect of sin. And the fact that you're struggling, despondent, and in despair, and discouraged, and defeated, and there's depression and anxiety in your life, you're like, I don't know that there is any hope. Can I guarantee you there is hope? And there's hope in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. But my sin is great. Yep, it is. But his grace is greater than our sin. It's the marvelous grace that we just sang about of our loving Lord, freely bestowed on all who believe. Do you believe today? Have you accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ? If not, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.